Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. This podcast is for and about women of colour and our relationship with nature. Hosted by me, Cherie Mack. The Earth Sea Love Podcast is committed to exploring the experiences of women of colour with Mother Nature. We want to provide spaces where the hidden voices in the environmental and conservation conversations can explore their relationship with the natural world. Inspired by our time spent outdoors, we amplify the voices of women of colour, our stories, our conversations, interviews, photography, writing and artwork. We'll be exploring our legacies, histories and memories which have had an influence and effect upon how we perceive ourselves within the natural world and within the environmental and climate justice movements. Welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. The Earth Sea Love Podcast has been made possible by the funding from National Lottery Heritage Fund. Thank you. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. And it's good to have your ears again. I hope you're keeping well as we enter December. 2020. My life, where has this year gone? Um, so yeah, days are getting shorter and colder, um, but there's still a lot of joy and gratitude to, to be had about the lives that we're living now. And that's all we can do or control or not even try to control just be be in the now I say and I'm I'm definitely um practicing this more and more and and I think that's what 2020 has brought me that space and time to slow down to definitely slow down to appreciate what I have in my life and also just to be here now because when I am in these moments now I'm happy there's joy and isn't that what we all want to achieve in life I think this is episode 019 019 with Avni um, and Avni I met in a Voxer, Voxer group for writers. It was a writer's studio. And I think for eight weeks, we were focusing 
on our different writing projects and this is where I brought the mixed genre memoir to the table and we were basically accountability buddies, um, cheerleaders. We shared our progress week by week on how we were getting on with our um, projects. Avni during this time was working on her website, some copy, but she was also working on a workshop, uh, offering a course that she was and is working on expanding now. And this was working with loss and where it is and where we can locate it within our bodies. And she mentions this within this episode. And we also explore the healthcare profession because this is where Avni works, um, working with the body um, and how much wisdom our bodies carry with us on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment sort of thing and um has really interesting conversation we have around cold water swimming um the changing seasons how you know becoming elders and moving into our crone phase um and also how black women's bodies in society especially in this white supremacy culture, how our bodies weather, weather much more quicker and deeper than any in comparison to any other body, white or black. And this is down to um, the systematic racism that we, we live under. And I think that's why it's really important that as black women, we lean into those practices, those tools and skills that we have acquired through life that fosters self-care and self-love. Because that is, for me, the source of everything. If I've got my self-care, self-love, self-acceptance in place, that means that everyone benefits because I move through the world as a happier being, as a more, not just happy, but more, I'm showing up into the world and I'm showing my best, my best face, my best version of me. And if that is the case, that means everyone benefits. Um, And I see it as my responsibility while living in society, living in community and of being service to others that I have got my self-care, self-love, self-acceptance in place and I'm feeding it, I'm feeding it moment to moment and that's my responsibility. I'm not asking anyone else to, to offer up love to me, to care for me. I mean if you want to, fair enough, I'll accept it but No longer am I wasting time and energy looking elsewhere for that, that love, that care, that acceptance, because I've realised, I've hit the jackpot in coming to this realisation that it just comes from me. It has to come from me. And then once it comes from me, it flows out and everyone benefits. Anyway, 
So sit back. I say that every time, right? But you don't sit back. Everybody listens to podcasts doing different things. Oh, and I'd be really interested to find out when you're, you know, when you're listening to a Sea Love podcast, what are you doing at the same time? I like to listen to podcasts. Um, well, I can't listen to the Sea Love podcast and do anything else because usually when I'm listening to the Sea Love podcast, I'm editing it, listening back for the ums and the uhs and you know what I mean? Like <laughs> so many. And I seem to have a sniff and a snook that goes on <laughs> anyhow. Um, but when I'm listening to other people's podcasts or... I'm usually cooking, say. Um, so when we come to the end of the season and have a break, I am so looking forward to listening back to the episodes of the Earth Sea Love podcast and being reminded of the journey that we've been on, the wisdom that these wonderful women have shared with us all. And also, you know, I'll be releasing sections or tidbits or sound bites from you know the whole the whole array of episodes um as a reminder and keep us in your ears while we have a break but more about that in um episodes to come before we go on a break anyhow enough of me rambling on again here I was trying to make them short and I'll see you in the conversation that is coming up with Avni enjoy and thanks for listening welcome Avni <laughs> to the Earth Sea Love podcast. Thank you so much for being here and agreeing to be a, a guest on the podcast and have a conversation with me. So thank you kindly. Thank you for having me. Um, first of all, I usually ask just everyone, where are you in the world and what can you see outside your window? Can you see anything nature-like outside your window? I'm in North London and when I look outside I can see um, a fig tree and an apple tree and a pear tree. <laughs> Most of those trees are from my neighbour's garden. Uh -huh. uh, I'm lucky to have lots of, for, for a London home, a lot mm. of green space. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool, cool. And how have you been keeping during these turbulent and difficult times you know not just with the pandemic but then stuff that's been going on around the world with black lives matter and easing of lockdown maybe not how how you've been how you've been feeling how you've been looking after yourself is important i've i've felt every single emotion i think that it's possible to feel and you know at times i've had really good rhythms of being outside every day and making sure I'm cooking a lot and things like that. And then other times where I want to do the opposite. And so I felt good and I felt overwhelmed and it feels like things are changing on so many levels, just, you know, the way that I see the world, the way the world is, all of that stuff. So it's not surprising that it brings up so much stuff. Mm, yeah, I hear you about feeling all the emotions and um i think there was a time where i wouldn't allow myself to feel all the emotions and i think that was out of fear and the un you know fear of the unknown and how far 
would it go and would I be able to cope with it? And I think the the times that we're, we're, we've gone through and continue going through, going through has made me um, feel that, yeah, we can. We are able to cope or adapt or be resilient, etc., etc. Um, so you, what do you do for, um, well, in your tagline um, on your email, you have osteopath and zero balancer and then there's a sub subheading conscious wellness in a modern world what do you actually do and how how does um oh yeah how does conscious wellness look like in this modern world (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm mainly a body worker so i work hands-on with touch to help Mm. people figure out what's going on so sometimes it's a symptom that's making them feel uncomfortable Um, I work a lot with women through pregnancy, so it's kind of through all the different stages. Um, And conscious wellness to me is handing the kind of autonomy back to the person. So Mm. I don't really buy into this thing of the person with the degrees is the expert of your body. Like, Mm. you know your body, you're the one living in your body. So consciousness to me is helping people to connect back again with their body and make choices that work for them. Because, you know, whether it's nutrition or exercise or sleep, like we're all different. But Mm. there's all these rules that, you know, we should be drinking two litres of water and we should sleep for eight hours. And I I just don't buy into that. Mm, That's that's really interesting. A number of questions that came up there is like, okay, you work it's body work and it's about touch so how how has that changed recently your work because we haven't been allowed to get close up to people and touch <laughs> how has that worked out for you well I had I mean months of lockdown of not seeing hands-on clients which was really weird because I've got so much of my identity is what I do for a living so it's it's really meant stepping away from that for some time and what's been interesting is that even though there's the whole masks and disinfecting and all of that to make it safe when I'm treating, when I actually put my hands on somebody, that feels so normal. So mm. there's the, you know, there's the physical distance and keeping apart from one another, but the hands on, it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I pride myself on how much I can feel and sense in people. And to be able to do that again after so long of not felt mm. so good. And mm. I'd had a few clients who'd literally waited until March to come and see me and they'd had symptoms that just couldn't get dealt with in that time. So that, you know, it feels like really being in service and having something I can do. So that Mm. felt good. Mm. But I just fundamentally don't agree that human beings are meant to be so separate from each other. And, you know, it's, it's lovely, like how we're speaking on a screen right now. It's lovely that there can be ways of connection, but there's nothing like that hands-on touch. Mm-hmm. You have a podcast which is Speak From The Body and within there you talk about the wisdom of our bodies, the intelligence of our bodies and our bodies are not just telling us signals or giving us the idea through our senses of how to be in the world basically and also sending out that that need that we do need to connect to another body thinking about the program of the podcast how do you see then or how does nature 
or a relationship coming to your work or you personally with that with that idea of connecting with another body earth is a living breathing thing i think it's the the connections of connecting to our breath our body our emotions mm. connecting to one another connecting to the season the planets you know it, it can go as kind of microscopic as you want it to be and to get as big and broad as you want it to be as well and um like i often think on a cellular level that we're made up of all these billions and trillions of cells and then they're organized in different systems to form bigger entities but really it's just these tiny tiny cells and it, it's almost like a um a metaphor for how we are as people as well like we're all individual but we're also all vibrating together mm. as well yeah i love that vibrating all together it's only just like in the last few years have i taken on board that we are like energy like everything's energy and and how we can be operating on on different levels higher you know i i want to actually try and vibrate higher daily and i see that as as how i am showing up within the world in a sense so it's it's really interesting that you mentioned that vibration because i would say only since my relationship has developed with nature have i been really conscious just in your recent podcast you it's one just with you and you're talking about water and um cold cold water swimming and the idea of how you know we're made up of water a lot like 60 percent and um the idea that how vital a resource water is to us is to live but then also to have that connection with water in almost going home going back mm. going back to the source i think you've said there so are you actually developing your relationship with water or your relationship with nature or are you bringing it into your work with your clients at all i think all of those things so it comes into my work a lot anyway so one of the types of practice that i do is cranial osteopathy which is a really gentle and subtle type of osteopathy and you can use it a lot with babies and children or pregnant women and things and the the approach because it's so gentle you're you're feeling the fluidity in the body the real like even within a bony structure there's fluidity and so the analogies about nature and connecting with nature come through a lot and it's quite interesting how a lot of cranial osteopaths move kind of to the coast mm. and so they're literally like really being immersed in the sea energy all the time um and often when i'm treating like i think of injuries that have kind of gone on for a long time as a stuckness in somebody so when I'm working hands-on I'm often thinking of imagery to do with water to bring in more movement and fluidity and shift um so it's it's very connected and mm. and I also I think with me living in a city like I'm I was born in the suburbs I've always lived in London but I'm at heart such a nature girl. So mm. I know that I need to keep that connection to nature all the time mm. in different ways. Yeah, and, and, you know, that leads really nicely on. You're saying you were born in London and brought up in London. And it was I was going to be asking the idea of, like, have you always had a relationship with nature? I mean, have, did your parents bring you up with that connection with nature or has it come later in life for you? I mean, I what... Thinking, 
sorry, I was just going to say what is your ancestry and then, you know, carry on. My, both my parents were born in East Africa, but we're Indian origin. And where my, I mean, my mum talks about growing up um, near Mount Kilimanjaro and having the kind of view of it. And I don't know how much I've romanticised in my head, but I see it as she grew up in a kind of, you know, in a, in a town or in a city, but with a lot of nature around. And when they talk about stories of, say, travelling from Mombasa to Nairobi in Kenya when they were newlyweds, that wildlife was everywhere and that elephants might be crossing the road or, you know, like very different from now where everything's safely in a in a game park and sadly mm. poaching has really mm. culled all these numbers. Um, so, yeah, I had a, a lot of connection. And I think also just coming from a hotter country, there's just much more of outdoor living and, you know, celebrations would be um kind of outdoor like barbecues and so that's very much in my in my bones but the we were always taken to places to to parks and everything but I think as soon as I was old enough to kind of take a bit of independence from myself I was always looking for wilder nature so like I was remembering this this morning just prepping for this conversation that we had these um, woods nearby and I wasn't really allowed to go in the woods, where, you know, as you would say to any young child, but I used to just go on my bike and go on my own. And I just, I just loved that kind of peace and quiet in wilder nature, whereas just going to the park that's a bit manicured doesn't have the same feeling. And that's interesting because somebody just recently was talking to me about wild and wilder spaces and the wilderness and how I defined it and how I connected with it or was that within me etc etc and it was interesting because I was seeing it as okay untouched by man you know in that sense but not taking on the connotations of um, wildness like you know undomesticated or feral or you know like the negative connotations i i was actually thinking like within these wilder spaces there was serenity and peace and calmness um is, do, do you do you understand what i'm saying is that is that what you were feeling when you branched out alone um into these wilder spaces definitely and i i think those spaces are often more harmonious so like i'm lucky to um be able to walk through the royal um to regent's park so one of the royal parks on my way to work mm. and it's stunning it's absolutely beautiful but it's so heavily manicured you, you know things are kind of trimmed and shaped a certain way that um it just has a different feeling. So I, I think with wilder spaces, there's that feeling of being in some form of harmony with nature rather than trying to do something to it. Mm, that's interesting. I love those words that you use, harmony and manicured. And then I was just going to say it in like controlled and contained way. And this is something that is coming up recently with this research that I'm doing with other other black and Asian and ethnic um, people around our involvement in nature and the natural world and how nature at the moment is with the parks and the safari parks is a commodity and how it's actually um, fenced off and then sold back 
to us as a recreation, as a leisure pursuit sort of thing. And, it, and we were saying it comes down to land and power. What do you what do you think about this? Are we are we making these generalizations because we feel that we're left out of these spaces, or is there actually some truth? in this what do you think <laughs> that's just prompted twice it's happened where i've got locked into green spaces like one because they closed the gates and it was just later i hadn't intended of being stuck so i had to scale the gate to get what? out scale the gate <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the other time was in a really posh part of south kensington where they've got these garden kind of squares. So if you live in the area, you've got an electronic yes. key. Yes, I know. Um, yeah. And I just was being a bit naughty on a really nice day and went in to sit and read and didn't realise that everyone else had left and I didn't have a way out. So I had to wait until someone else came in that I could... And she was giving me so much lip for me being in there. What? Like, you're not allowed to be in here? Well, yeah. who do you think? Oh, my gosh! <laughs> And a part of me, because I, I can be a bit of a quiet rebel, so a part of me was just like, green spaces to me are just where you take off your shoes and socks and you sit on the grass and you are part of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that often happens, you know, like say with lockdown where we were given that, you know, once a day where you're allowed out to exercise. Like mm. that's great if you live somewhere where you've got a park on your doorstep, mm. but so many people don't. Mm. So there, there is this, like you say, this commodity of nature. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's good then. It's like, okay, that's. I'm going to continue that line of inquiry then <laughs> because I didn't really notice, you know, because there's times that I've had, you know, na- National Trust membership and uh, English Heritage membership and stuff like that, you know, and I've paid us like an annual fee on a monthly direct debit thing to go to these houses with their manicured gardens and stuff like that and go around and oh yes this is lovely and that sort of thing but I'm paying I'm paying back to the landed gentry that probably got these lands and houses through money from the colonies and empire and slavery it's like I'm paying double (laughs) 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 all right so just like step back a bit we were talking about water you were mentioning when you're working touch and you actually um, visualize water to aid that fluidity and that flow of energy while you're doing your work. I was wanting to know what other ways are you being creative for yourself? I mean, because I see that as definitely being creative. And I think during this, these times to get those virtual, <laughs> virtual connections with nature for our own well-being has been a godsend for me. So how else are you feeding your creativity? Does, does this include, are you, have you been doing any um, cold water swimming yet? I have. I've been to swim in the ladies' ponds in Hampstead Heath three times now. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> Was that in <laughs> one week? in two weeks excellent because i heard the advice that you gave on that podcast you know you should be going two or three times a week to acclimatize to the cold (laughs) i thought there was really good advice that you did give out i'd recommend anyone going away the most recent one i think was september the 2nd of your podcast um because it gave it reminded me of some techniques that I might have been forgetting. So thank you for that. But yes, you've been going three, you've gone three times, two weeks. Yeah, and I've been doing at the end of my shower, having like a cold 
two minutes at the end so and I mean like I know you swim in the sea and you swear by it mm -hmm. but I've had like that feeling of I'm gonna die and mm. you know just having to kind of confront or feeling my breathing becomes so painful in cold water so it's not just a an easy thing at all you know yeah. I've always admired the women that go and yeah. then just never felt like I could be one of those women um so yeah it I don't know how much longer as the weather starts to turn that I'll keep going but I'm so glad I've done it this side of the year and not just waited until next summer that is that is good and I just asked the question like why now as you're saying there's a fear that you have physical reaction by making it hard to breathe with cold water why now that's my question many reasons i i admire like i'm really fascinated about aging and becoming an elder and i mm. i grew up with two of my grandmas at home well both my grandmas at home and also really influenced by other kind of elder women grandmothery figures so i'm i'm fascinated in that stage of life and mm. also the, you know the idea of being a proper crone and everything that really kind of I feel like I'm I'm coming into my own as I get older mm -hmm. um and so the you know like my next door neighbor she swims in the ponds all year and she's just one of those women who just she's so much so visible as an elder woman you just wouldn't mess with her she just lives her life like there's certain attitudes that I feel like you can see the links of the habits people have and then who they are um and also on a practical level I suffer quite badly with seasonal affective disorder so as soon as the weather starts to shift or like it's been really noticeable the last couple of weeks as soon as it gets even a slightly bit dark in the evening I feel like the end of the world is coming and mm. I've got mentally I've got quite a positive disposition but in my kind of physiology it just floors me and considering I live in the UK and it's cold and dark a lot of the year, you know, that's just a bit of a miserable way to, to be. So I've just been curious if it doesn't have to be as uphill as I make it out to be. So if I can't change the the weather, mm -hmm. then I can change my reaction. Mm, yeah, and that's really inspiring that. And that just shows to me how how in touch you are with your own body and your own feelings and how they manifest. Um, and yeah, I say, you know, fair play, fair play. And if you can keep it up into some colder weather, then good for you. And if you can't, then you can bank it because, you know, like, I've done it. I've got it. I've <laughs> done it, you know, and overcome a fear there. And I liked what you said about the idea of softening into the water instead of because you know the natural instinct cold shock is to fight it in a sense and go against maybe instincts or maybe our instincts is it's that flight and fight and that sort of thing but the idea of softening into the water i just love that because then there is that almost i don't know a communion a religious it's almost a, you know, and it goes with the breath. So, yeah. Mm. So I'm really, really pleased that you've um, done that. Well done. <laughs> well done. But, yeah, creativity we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And just before we started recording, you were on about um, 
the idea of um, how you've been changing maybe your working patterns and how you've been treating yourself around that. Um, and I think that's that's really important because I know that I've been saying um, to try and take the lessons from lockdown forward and the idea of like, okay, I'd like to work virtually for the rest of the year, <laughs> you know, to keep safe-ish. <laughs> um, but then also to, to keep that slow downness that I cultivated during lockdown into the rest of the year and the rest of my life. The idea of not having to go, 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 um, produce, 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 but just to have that slack, slow spaciousness, I think, in each of my days. Um, so how do you feel that you've been, you've adapted from what we've come out of and how you're actually working or treating yourself on this side of the pandemic? Before we started recording, you were asking um, if I'm busy and I was saying to you, like, I'm really, I feel that for the first time in a long time, it's I'm busy at the level I want to be busy, but not in excess. And that feels really good mm -hmm. because I think when things are so busy and you're in that place of having to, to go, go, go or do, you're not feeling and you're not sensing. And so much of my my hands on work needs me to be sensitive to, to be able to feel so I need to be in a place of relaxation but I mean I don't know how I ever did it but once I worked in a clinic where in five hours I could see 10 clients mm. and it you know to have a physically demanding job but also treat a lot of complex cases or more kind of emotionally intense cases that's just it makes no sense mm. so having a sense of spaciousness in my day that's that's definitely something I want to take forward um, and I've had um, the the founder of Zero Balancing he was in his 50s when he created Zero Balancing and he's now in his early 90s mm. and still does some teaching so I've I've got someone when that I aspire to of like actually he came into his own in his kind of later years and so this idea of just living at burnout all the time like just doesn't appeal to me. Mm. Yeah, I'm so with you. I'm so with you. I mean, I got out of full-time teaching, you know, there was a lack of creativity, but there was that idea of like you were at school for how many hours and then you'd go home and do more hours. And it was just like work, 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 and it was never, never done. And there was, there was no space. So yes, space. Yeah, and I love that idea guy who's who's 90 zero balancing the question is in the work that you do do you see have much contact with people that look like you Daphne it's rare and if they do they're generally professional high achieving people so whenever the conversations about BAME people which there's been so much conversation in the last few months it's the thing of they look like me or I identify, but then there's a whole socioeconomic, educational status, all of that side of things where it doesn't apply. So like say, I do a lot of work to do with maternity services and black women are known to be five times more likely to die during childbirth or late pregnancy or early motherhood. And the black women that I treat tend to be lawyers or work in finance or you know it's 
well, I mean, in terms of statistics, they can still be as poor, but at least they're the women that know that they can come and choose their healthcare provider or mm. that they know they can educate themselves about the birth process. Or mm. So, yeah, so it's it's a rarer thing. And, and lockdown has been, with everything happening so intertwined between COVID and Black Lives Matter, and it's really brought up for me of this model of working in healthcare in quite an elite sense that people have to afford to be able to come and see me and I work in central London so fees are higher that that doesn't feel so good anymore because actually we all deserve to feel healthy and there's huge swathes of society that are not getting proper messaging Mm, yeah and I'm glad I'm glad that you mentioned that because um even as a black woman who's who's had two successful pregnancies and um and touchwood really didn't have any trouble within the medical profession not really on the scheme of things it is only now that i am seeing the reality i know i was going to say the statistics but it's that those are the numbers but the reality of the number of black women who either die in childbirth or who have lose their children, their their babies during birth. And the figures are just like staggering, but they're hidden until now. But it's it's only through black women, say like black ballad and black academics that have shone a light on this. And this isn't just in the USA, it's in the UK as well. Um, And it's just shocking. And what gets me even more is that they put the blame of it upon the individual woman themselves. And, you know, I haven't done the research, but I've read a lot of research. But that isn't the case. And as and, and as you mentioned, the people that you, the women that you might be dealing with, high achievers, professionals, are financially secure probably, but they are also within that risk factor that it could be happening to them, that it could happen to them. Do you know why? <laughs> you know, have you got a theory about it? Because I was been reading about the idea of black women's bodies, how our bodies weather more quickly than other bodies because of what we go through in society systemic racism the patriarchy um, and how our bodies on a day-to-day basis are worn down as a body worker do, do you see this do you believe this is this the case is the question of why is there that disparity or yeah why is there that disparity I mean, from from the research, it all points towards structural racism and issues of black and Asian and other women of colour not being heard. And things like, say, with gynaecology, the modern gynaecology was founded on experimenting on slave women. So black women's bodies were never seen as valuable. It was, you know, so that thoughts on pain or you know just the endurance all of these things just the expectation that a black woman would be somehow able to handle everything you know all these Mm -hmm. ideas so that it's it's complicated and it's it's hard reading it's 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a brilliant. Um, oh, I'll have to give you the name. Um, ter- my memory. That's one lockdown. <laughs> it's a book called The Big Letdown by Kimberly Alice Seals. And it's she's a, a US author, mm. but she's written a book about breastfeeding and okay. the history of breastfeeding and the history of women wet nursing and mm. formula and, and how formula can be kind of promoted as a certain status. So if you're becoming more affluent of course you'd want to be using formula so things like that yeah um so there you know i think i think there's so many aspects so i I know a a black doula called mars lord who's doing a lot of phenomenal work of training up more black doulas Mm. and you know so that there's more voices and more advocacy and everything because Mm. even though there are so many women of color within the nhs they're working within a patriarchy, aren't they? And mm. like I've had experiences with, there's a Sri Lankan doctor who comes to mind. The way that she said, follow me, was like I would expect <laughs> a kind of 70-year-old professor. To, you know, yeah. so there's a certain, like, you're kind of been taught to follow what was done before. Mm-hmm. So just having more people of colour in the system doesn't answer things. Yes, definitely. Yeah, thanks, thanks for answering that, because it is... It's a difficult, it's difficult to talk about, it's difficult to get a handle on, it's difficult to pin it down, but I do, do see change in the sense of like, we're having conversations about it, when in the past, there hasn't been that space, need or want or, you know, to have these conversations. So, so thank you. Thank you for that. Being conscious of time here. Um, but just going back to something that you mentioned about the seasons and how you know the changes and how it might be affecting us the changes in seasons and we're moving into autumn my favorite time of yeah this is my birth season i think as individuals and women especially we go through different seasons and stages in our lives you mentioned the crone and i'm so glad you mentioned the crone because um I do believe I'm entering my own crone period when I am just not giving a hoot to hoot about what anyone says or thinks about me. <laughs> but I am noticing I'm getting a bit drier, that the water is drying up a little bit. So, yes, yeah, so I know those changes are on. So I'm asking, I'm, gonna, I'm asking you about what changes are on the horizon for you, for you personally or you professionally moving forward. And also if this might tie into what offerings you might have as well through your work. I'm in a lot of change at the moment. So like I was saying to you before that all these kind of last few months have really done a 360 on how I think about healthcare and the difference that I want to make and things. So I'm restricting how much one-to-one work I do. So I'm only working Tuesday to Thursday, which feels quite a, a big shift for me and keeping two days a week where I can put more energy into writing courses and writing generally that I've wanted to do for a long time and Mm. had got stuck because I wasn't ever completing things. Um, I do, um, I run a workshop called Moving Through Loss and that came about after going through a lot of kind of personal losses um, and also just in situations with clients because so much of when I'm treating is people telling me their stories and starting to question 
like I'm I'm a believer in the benefit of therapy, but I think sometimes the things that we experience are not things you can easily talk about or they're not things that can necessarily be put into words and things. So because I'm a body worker, I'm interested in the body experience of things, you know, so so that workshop is experiential and it's in silence and people just go into their bodies mm. and they get to be with where loss sits in their own body and we don't always know where that might be um so I'm really proud of that piece of work and have intentionally also made it accessible um and I'd like to start doing that with different types of groups of people um to make it a wider piece of work um what else it sounds a bit ironic because so much of my work is in service to people and people orientated but I actually see this transition this new season of me being less face-to-face -face and less available to people so it's very much work for humanity that I feel is important but I feel the need to step away from everyday interaction and content oh, um what's the word uh engagement with people to just be able to do more meaningful work because I think that rhythm of when everyone else is rushing around you're not really doing deep healing work or work that's meaningful or purposeful so I'm very much wanting to go into my own space mm. so go deeper yeah for sure yeah and do you have some techniques or practices or tools that will support you going deeper I do a daily of a method that I teach now called the non-linear movement method. And it's really simple. So you're just on your hands and knees with the eyes closed. And at first you just feel whatever you're feeling in your body, whether it's like maybe your knee is feeling a bit sore or your shoulders a bit achy. And then you just move from that part of your body. Mm. And then you start to follow the sensations of what else is going on. And so um, that's like a kind of meditation, but through movement. And I use that within the moving through loss work that I teach, but it's become a really nice way of unwinding because mm. when I'm working with clients and I'm hearing their stories, I'm also feeling what's gone on in their body and often dealing with trauma or disharmony or, you know, dysfunction. So mm. it's a really nice way of just clearing stuff for myself. Um, and then other practices like exercise, meditation, journaling. Um, over the years, I've learned that I need a certain amount of structure, but a lot of flow. So mm. I don't like being too um, restrictive about this is how many minutes and this many mm. days. And, you know, there might be some times where I'm meditating every day and I'm doing half an hour a day. And at other times it might be 10 minutes or other mm. days maybe I'm not meditating. And that seems to suit me. Whereas in the past, some approaches, it's almost like you're being slack if you're not committing. Mm. But I just, you know, different days need different things. Yeah. And I so agree with that. And we actually beat ourselves up if we're not consistently doing it for a certain amount of time each day, rather than listening to our bodies and following that with that wisdom there that's telling us some get quiet, listen within sort of thing. <sighs> Sometimes I need that reminder, that permission, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's okay, Sheree, if you miss these number of days, when you're ready, you'll be 
you'll do it. You'll be doing it there. So thank you. Can you just tell everyone where they can find out more about you? I mean, I put it in the show notes. You might have something, a special little corner where you've got stuff <laughs> tashed away. <laughs> my website is avni-touch. And my Instagram is also Avni Touch. Um, and my podcast is Speak From The Body. And that's from whether it's Spotify or Acast or iTunes, wherever people get their podcasts. Lovely. Thank you very much, Avni, for agreeing to come on here and speaking with such wisdom. Thanks very much. Oh, thank you, Sheree. Mm-hmm.